Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back, ready to talk some MMA with you for the next hour or so. Excited to talk about PFL, Bellator, and UFC. All three big shows were happening this weekend, and each one of them brought something pretty special to the table. I got to admit, if you invested the time to watch them all, you got something out of them, at least in my opinion. And granted, it was a lot. So even if you just know the results or caught the highlights good stuff man like i said it's a lot to ask out of someone especially now when summer's just started everyone wants to get to the pool have barbecues go on vacation i get it all right so we're going to go over this with you and we'll discuss the latest news and happenings in mma it's also the beginning of fight week so i might as well tell you that goes and i are hosting a ufc 276 watch along here on mma junkie on saturday we'll give you constant reminders on our social media and on today's show and thursday's show so be on the lookout for it you can share uh, our posts on social media, retweet, whatever it's called. That would be awesome because the more, the merrier. We love doing them, and we don't plan on stopping, even though uh, we seem to check in with the bosses each time just to make sure. But I think it's going to be something permanent that we can discuss going forward. All right, folks. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a Sunday night for your Monday delivery, June 27th. goes so man uh why is it every week there's just a fight that can confuses the heck out of everyone not just you and i not just the media not just the fans the announcers other judges and the refs i bet you like oh man it's the most frustrating thing that a lot of us think we know the sport and maybe we just don't or never will because the criteria is so vague at times and it really is left up to interpretation. Man, I know I take heat for this goes, but there's just not a better comparison. I'm sorry. All right. It's like going to a beauty pageant. They're all hot. And just some of you might have different tastes. Tall, small, voluptuous. You know what I mean? Thin or thick. Whatever, man. Nice, nice smile. I didn't look at the smile. I was looking at her eyes. I thought she gave a great answer on how to uh, this, how to you know stop the world from fighting. Uh, this one looked great in a uh, evening gown. The other one in the bathing. Whatever. We're all looking at different things, man. All the judges goes agreed. On Armand Sarukian versus uh, Gamrot, right? Mm-hmm. They all gave Armand Sarukian 10-9 in rounds 1 to 2. 1 and 2. And then Matias Gamrot got 3, 4, and 5. So all three guys that had the best vantage point and have the most schooling on how to do this, they all agreed. Yet everybody's still in an uproar. And I think a lot of MMA media, including you and I, have really, really tried to hone and educate ourselves even more. We have these rules printed. They lay around the house. We listen to them be recited all the time. We come across them throughout our work all week. We know what what to look for. And yet it's just, I don't know, man. It, it's baffling to me. And I don't know if it's ever going to, if we're ever going to get it right. Because you can't ask any more than for all the judges to at least agree. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult. I As soon as the fight was over, I text George, and I told him, I, I feel I feel like I'm right. We I went the other way, but we have to go back and watch this again because it's just there's so much chaos going on, and unless you're watching a fight, unless you've deemed it judge night and you're watching it like a judge, I'm sorry, there's just too much going on. Like Even if you're distracted for a second, Really, some of these rounds come down to just one, two strikes, a takedown, something like that. So it's hard to really go up on, on Twitter and just start mouthing off. Unless it's it's you know, unless it's obvious, but someone's a little closer. And going back and watching the fight again, which George and I just did, I scored it a little differently than I did night of, but I still had Sarukian winning that fight. And um it's a shame because, you know, so much that they put into it and all that. Um, I feel pretty confident about the way I scored this fight, what I saw. I feel like the wrong guy was just called out. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I thought it was clear enough. Well, it's the worst thing in the, in the world for Armand Sarukian, though. That we can right. agree, right? Right. Yeah. But it's not All like of us are going to move on. We, most of us have already seen embedded episode one of ufc 276 so we're all moving on the ufc's moving on i just feel so bad for the fighter that that is gonna lose a little bit of their ranking didn't get a win and won't be talked about you know as they're progressing upward on the ladder instead we'll be focusing on hey you're coming off a loss what kind of tweaks did you make this that whatever and um so listen, the judges agreed, and therefore I can't harp on it too long. But after re-watching it, I still stand by my 4-1 score of Arman Sarukian over Gamrot. And I think I may have just switched my rounds a little, but I wanted to read this uh, this criteria. In case anybody's listening to this and you're nodding your head or you're flipping us off because you still disagree. It, it won't take long. This says, as of 2019, unified re, uh, rules. So it's like an update, right? Effective strike, uh, striking slash grappling shall be considered the first priority of round assessments. Effective aggressiveness is, the, is a plan B and should not be considered unless the judge does not see any advantage in the effective strike be, uh, striking and grappling realm. Cage and ring control, that's plan C, should only be needed when all the other criteria are 100%, even for both competitors. This will be an extremely rare occurrence. I think the whole world agrees on 10-9 Saruki in rounds one and two. So let's get to round three, oh. goes. In round three, this was the official strike count for uh, that round. It was 28-20 Gamrot. Sorry, 28-22 now, my thing is this. It was 28-20, effective striking, except I thought the more damaging blows were from Sarukian. So much so that I believe that was the round that he knocked him down. I'm just going to play the audio because I'm, I'm trying to remember everything here at one time. Okay, so on that one, you and I agreed that, that Sarukian won it. And yeah, that's right. It was a spinning back kick that landed to the body. And I remember he also landed a punch, but so did Gamrot. They kind of canceled each other. But then there was like a left hook that he put in there. And I thought, so what I thought was that early on, um, the the effectiveness was coming more from the striking end of Sarukian. But Gamrot then had some decent grappling. Now, none of his grappling was in an effort to end the fight. Um, but it was there. It existed. A takedown was there. Some improvements of positions. But again, nothing where I ever saw a threat to end to uh, to end the fight, and so in my mind, I kind of had it even in the last thirty seconds decided it for me with Armand Sarukian. So even though he trailed in six with those six strikes, I still felt he he was just a more heavy-handed guy throughout the night, and he had won it back. Now on that round, though, when the other three judges present their scores, the real ones, the ones that count, I'll stand, I'll stand back and go, okay, okay, you know. Can't wait for round four, everybody, you know, and take a swig of my beer, rub my hands together, and let's go. I, I don't feel like I, uh, I, I'll i die, you know, on, on that cross. 
look, I thought there were three really significant strikes that uh, Sarukian landed in round three. And those are going to go up against maybe one that I thought Gamrot threw that was that was pretty pretty good punch, and then the takedown, which Sarukian I felt like was fighting off the whole time. Right. There's not much that Gamrot did with it is the problem. Now you have to count the takedown as something, right? Another human being, a grown man, took another grown man off of his feet and put him on his ass. That's something, you know. Whether you equate that to a jab or a straight right hand, it's something. So you got to give Gamrot something for that. But I just felt like the three strikes, and I want to say that even the commentator said one of them was the best strike of the fight to that moment. I just think that was uh, Armin's round. So I had it one. I had it three rounds to nothing going into the last two rounds. Yeah. I thought he was drawing dead on fight night, but I knew that round was closer. And that's why I say I will stand down on that one. And I'm just not going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, hold on a second. Raise my hand and said, I need another minute. I need I have counterpoints or whatever. Because there wasn't a. uh, A knockdown, per se, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, We go to round four. And in round four, there was a knockdown. That was the spinning back fist knockdown. And so when we're talking about, like, takedowns, hard punches, or whatever, to me, a knockdown punch weighs a lot. Now, in boxing, right away, it's a 10-8. And so that's a lot in our sport. You know, imagine how hard it is to get 10-8s now. But just a t- just a knockdown in boxing makes a around ten eight at that point. The other person can come back and and fight to win the round and and uh, you know close it. But uh, in our sport, it's different. But I weighed that heavily because of the way the rules have been written. That was basically uh, an attempt to finish the fight because now you're wobbling someone. You've knocked them down, and on top of all that, he won the round. I believe twenty one twelve. Uh, ineffective strikes so on top of having the strike count in, uh, on uh, in front of you and Gamron not really doing much to end the fight with his grappling Sarukian also had the biggest blow of the round that's the one that I would when the judges go nope 10 us I go no 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 time out time out stop I, I, I got a problem with this I won't stand down on that one I think Sarukian won that round I'd have to cut I'd have to you know go to bat for him or, or whatever if that was my job I'd say that that's wrong that one, I feel like it has the case has more weight. It's sad, dude. Um, you know, like I said, fight night, I had it scored one way. After rewatching it, I had it scored a different way, but I still had the same winner coming out. And, um, it, you know, if you look at Sarukian's face at the end, he didn't look like one of those guys that kind of throws his arms up in the air and just couldn't believe it, but he just looked so dejected, you know, like he had thought he had done enough. And I thought he did too. Um, you know, luck, luckily he's a young cat, but still that doesn't make it right that he's missing half of his purse. You know? Yeah. And, you know, pre fight, all the talk was Gamrot is more the gasser. But Gamrot proved to us that his gas tanks definitely improved. And at one point, Sarukian looked like he was more like the guy that was fading, except for the last 30 seconds, of, or, or except for in round five, he once again found another gear and dug deep and, and, um, you know, it could be argued he even won that round. I mean, th- there's been a lot of people that have gone 5-0 Sarukian. I went 4-1 Sarukian. But for sure, I feel real strong about 3-2 Sarukian. Because I would stand down on 5-3. and um, What do you think of round 5? Round 5, initially, I thought was going Gamrot's way. But I thought Sarukian pulled it off at the end, like, really... Made it close and then cemented it when he got out of the takedown. And then he was even landing some punches towards the end. Um, so I gave him round five. I gave Armin Sarukian round five. And I believe I that's the round where he also knocked him off his feet with two nice leg kicks, right? The first yeah. one just took him off his feet. I wouldn't call that a uh, like an orthodox, or, you know, the, the, the knockdowns that we're used to talking about, which come from an elbow, a knee, or whatever. He basically took him off his feet. But the next calf kick, I mean, those were really, really effective. You could tell Garamot felt those early in that round. Yeah. I mean, 
It's a it's definitely a warning. You know, we got another fight card this weekend. It's a massive fight card. It's definitely a warning, but at the same time, you know, it's just so easy to say, well, don't let it go into the hands of the judges, but that that's so tough, especially at this level. But it is a reminder. It's a stock reminder for fighters to just do as much as you can. Empty that gas tank all the way. Don't leave anything there. Right. I agree. Okay, now it goes. This isn't a trick question at all, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to reinforce a point that I constantly make. But Shafkat, and we'll, we'll still finish Gamrot and Sarukin here, but remember how Shafkat won the round against Magni, the one they completed round one? Uh-huh. What would you say he did to him? Kind of dominated, right? Right. Left no doubt. Right. And so it's to the point where I say you almost have to go for that because that's why I say the onus is on the fighter to convincingly win rounds. Because if you leave it up to the judge's interpretation, you're going to have that dejected look that Sarukian had because it was close. Now, Sarukian was trying, but the other guy was tough. He wouldn't go away. So I know that anybody that says it, well, any, anybody that listens to me say it, they'll say, yeah, bro, we're fucking trying out here. It's not like we're not trying out here. And I get that. But the only problem is, okay, because it was so close, it's now in the judge's hand to decide who gets that 10 and who gets that 9. And we're not sure if he's up to date on these on these rules. Most of them are, but when they go to a new state, like last week when they were in Texas, there was some horrible scores. They come back to Vegas. I thought the Demopolis June, the Fry score of 30-27 Demopolis, I just did not see that. I thought that was a horrific score. And um, and it was in Nevada where the best it's considered the, the, the best commission in combat sports. So what else to say? Because the the judges aren't going away, you know, and they when they go away, they seem to only go away because they're tired of judging. You rarely hear that a judge got fired or that a ref gets fired or whatever. Because I think for the most for the most part. The commissions accept their work. So really, fighters either have to come up with game plans where they can just show off their strength against someone else's uh, weakness, or they're just going to have to face that. They're going to have to face that. They're going to have to face having to listen to Buffer, Martinez, um, Michael C. Williams, whoever, announce their fate, you know, because you left it in the hands of the judges. I I, I don't know what to say. um, Shavkat is awesome. And I think Neil Magny is a super tough out, but Shavkat left me um, no doubt in his first round that he got the 10 and Neil Magny got the nine. So he convincingly won round one. You know, but again, that's, all I can again that's a three-round fight, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you have a little bit more confidence of, of doing something like that. But it just sucks, man, because um, – I can't really point to anything where I could say Sarukian could have done more or or paid more attention or given more. Like that kid looks like he gave everything he had. It just it just didn't work out. They did tell him stop wrestling, and about a minute in, he went for a takedown. Then Michael Bisping said, "Hey, look, <laughs> he's in a war, man. He can't remember it all. He's trying to just go back to what's worked for him in the past, which is his wrestling. And Gamrot's got wrestling too, but he literally had been told, don't wrestle, stay on your feet." He stayed on his feet for about a minute. Then he tried to wrestle. I know there was one time Sarukian kicked him in the body and Gamrot used that to get the takedown and then get some position. And I thought, geez, what do you tell that guy? You know, why'd you kick him? When in reality, Sarukian's kicks were amazing. Did you hear some of those shots to the liver? They just like, boom, you know, you could hear him in the whole apex. So how can you tell him to stop doing that? Because it might lead to a takedown when so many of them seem to take a lot of the starch out of Gamrot's game. Yeah, those are brutal. To right to the ribs, he took a bunch of them. Yeah. So what can we do, folks, is just we have to – we know that our job is to move on. What can these guys do? I don't know. Uh, and maybe someone has a better solution than I do. But the only way to prevent yourself from being scored is you got to really, really convincingly win that round. And I know a lot of fighters are trying, like Armand Sarukian. However, there's a lot that there's a lot that coast. Maybe those are the ones I'm talking to goes. There's a lot of coasters out there too. 
um, Esparza and Nama Yunus at the, at the highest level. They coasted in round one. Like, they, I think they played too much chess. You know what I mean? And if I'm not mistaken, if we go back to the archives, it all came down to round one. If I'm not mistaken, it was a split decision. It, it's the saddest thing, dude. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't apply to everyone, obviously, but, um, you know, fighters, they want to win. They want to get that that second paycheck. You know, they want to move up in the rankings, but there are a few, I think, that just make these mistakes that uh, that others don't. Yeah. All right, so that was the main event at UFC on Fight Night 57. The co-main event, like I teased earlier, involved Shafkat Rachmanov versus Neil Magny. Rachmanov got the submission via guillotine choke in round two. Um, it was towards the end of round two, and really I could ask goes, hey, I'll just score round two because for the most part we were seconds away, and that would have been a convincing 10-9 for Shafkat mm-hmm. as well. Neil Magny, man, he's 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 been one of the he's been one of the most solid 170 years out there, but he looked older and Shafkat looked amazing. Neil, Neil Magny can lose fights. But what he doesn't do is get like completely dominated, and he looked like somebody who was drowning, you know, at, at times in this fight. And I don't want to say you're you're right, you know, he did look a little bit older, um, but I don't think it was all that. I just think Shaqat was that good. Yeah, I agree. Shaqat's the real deal, but I'm just not there yet with um, Shaqat is going to be a future world champion. I think someone can hold that opinion and say, hey, look, you know, um, this is this is what I think. But I've been hearing some people with really some authority make it sound like it's just a matter of time. And I'm sorry, but that's kind of hurt what I heard about Hamza Shemaev. And he barely got out of uh, got mm-hmm. out of town with the, by the skin of his teeth against Gilbert Burns. There really is levels to this. And Shavkat called out Nick Diaz. Jorge Masvidal, and Steven Thompson. The reason I don't like those goes is because um, pretty much they're all older. They're all strikers. And so what this guy's going to be able to do is kind of get off on a name fighter and put himself over by basically grappling them to death. And that's fine. But I just don't think that moves you up the charts. I think what he needs to do is probably, you know, and he kind of did that, I guess, with Magny. Because uh, usually Magny's the one that's taking people down, but Magny's also not that impressive off his back. Uh, I liked, I threw out Gilbert Burns and I brain farted. I I didn't re- I, I forgot that him and and Shavkat are teammates at at um, Sanford MMA, so that one probably wouldn't work. But um, him pick, I mean, I guess it's smart. I mean, maybe he's just trying to, you know, maybe it is a smart move. It's a smart move in terms of. Gaining your popularity, um, and you know, not having to go against someone that you don't feel like you can pretty much take down when you want and maul them. I mean, look, to be fair, Thompson is very hard to take down because he's so elusive. Diaz has wonderful jujitsu, it just relies on it too much, and and basically, he just he gets beat up on the ground in big fights. And then, uh, Masvidal, you just saw him kind of get wrestled by uh, Colby Covington, so. You know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm warm to any of those, but I guess maybe I, I, I do see a strategy. Yeah, you got to attach your name to the big names out there, right? You got to make, you got to have your name attached to them so that the fans think that you're in the same class, which I think it can be. Um, they're all dangerous fights to a certain extent, but uh, I kind of with you in the sense that I feel like just one more and then you can get into that mess. You know, just one more. Yeah, or at least pick a younger fella. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I like Shavkat, though. Undefeated, man. All finishes, too. All 16 fights have been finishes. And a lot of them have been in the UFC now. Probably like at least six, five or six. So that's pretty amazing. Um, Josh Parisian defeated Alan Badeau. Thiago's Moises defeated Christos Yagos. Pretty easy work for both guys. I mean, Badeau did have some moments in his fight, to be fair. Um, Umar and Margaret Madoff dominated Nate Manis. Manis, um, he, you know, convincingly won rounds. <laughs> 15 and 0, that guy. Chris Curtis led the night off on the main card. He defeated Rodolfo, Rodolfo Vieira. Shout out to Chris Curtis. 
who I saw get dominated by Magomed Magomed Sherapov in PFL, where he just looked like, oh, wow, he needed to put a lot of work in wrestling, jiu-jitsu. And, man, he went up against a world champion grappler, and uh, he was able to stop a lot of the takedowns, get a lot, get out of a lot of the takedowns, and he landed a ton of body shots. All this from a guy who's basically a welterweight frame, but he's succeeding at middleweight. That's gonna. That was gonna be my first question to you. What the hell do you do here? He's obviously outsized, okay, at middleweight, but he's winning. I don't. I. I don't know what to do. I mean, I think you just keep him at middleweight, right? Yes, because when Gastelum missed weight at welterweight, they sent him up to middleweight. So he took his medicine. He went up to middleweight, and guess what? He started winning so much that in an interim fight. It was, I think it was 2-2 going into round five of his fight versus Israel Adesanya. And those guys had a war, man. Kelvin Gastelum could have possibly been a world championship champion that night, but he came up just a little bit short. I call it playing with house money. What does house money mean? Basically, it means when you go to Las Vegas or Atlantic City or Macau or whatever, and you, you, you leave the house with about 5,000 bucks. And at some point, you have 10,000 because you've won 5,000. You have one day left on your trip, or maybe you're leaving that day. And so you're like, you know what? I'm going to do something stupid, something that you normally don't do. I'm going to put a 1,000 on one hand of blackjack or some shit, or that wheel, you know, where uh, – never mind. Not, 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 the, not that big wheel. A lot of people don't know. Like roulette, black and white or red – or black and red or um, odd or even or whatever. And somebody goes, dude, you normally don't do that. You only bet 25 a hand or a spin or 50 or 100 why are you doing a thousand are you stupid you turn around and go dude i'm playing with house money it's their money you're already up so you feel like it's just your weekend you know what i mean and i think that's what chris curtis is doing he's playing with house money at one at 185 until someone checks him then he'll probably go okay it's time going back down with people more my size but for right now he's winning yeah yeah i could see that um it's just so weird you know like the he retired and here he is, not only winning, I know. But winning twice the higher... time. I know. Yeah, yeah, and winning in a higher division. Like I really don't get it. But the guy's like, it looked like at the end of this fight, his confidence is starting to match what he's doing out there. And I love that man. So he's making good money now. Um, I think you have to give the gym some some uh, respect there too, turning him around like that. So yeah, good for him. Yeah. In fact, I want to give a shout out to a guy named Nate Pettit. The Extreme Couture Gym has a, a few coaches, Eddie Baracco and Eric Nixig, um, uh, Davis, and um, a, a few of them. You know what I mean? Coach Davis is the head coach, actually. And Jake Shields is now with them. Nate Pettis is kind of like MMA Straub. What do I mean by that? My buddy Steve Straub kind of looks like this guy. And uh so when he's around sometimes i find myself staring at him not in a creepy way but he just looks so much like steve straub i feel like i'm i'm seeing him for a half second you know maybe one day i'll tell him but um this guy i guess has worked a lot with chris curtis he may have even been one of the guys goes that convinced them to unretire they've put in a lot of work with the wrestling and two times in a row chris curtis has gone out of his way to thank that coach and that coach just doesn't get a lot of love, and so I'm trying to get some right now, and maybe we'll do a um, off guard with him or something like that, just so you guys can put the name to the face. But uh, yeah, he's worked with a lot of these guys, and you could tell goes, you know, Chris Curtis of 2019 would have got submitted in round one when he got down on the ground, oh, yeah. but he went through his mechanics, through his motions, and he was able to get back up, and then he was able to just stuff a few with sprawls or whatever. He did really, really good. Credit to Rodolfo Vieira, who's normally a gasser, or at least I remember him that way. Uh, just someone that starts to tire after, like, first couple minutes of round two. Uh, he's improved as well. So I can tell that he's going to get better, and he's always going to have that game if he can ever take your back. But um, it was Chris Curtis's night. I mean, even Chris Curtis kind of said, like, man, yeah, if we go to the ground, I might be in trouble, but uh... – his cardio was there, you know, every time he had to push off of them legs just to get out, he was able to do it. His striking was pretty nice. So, yeah, all the credit in the world to Chris Curtis there. What about Habib's cousin, uh, Umar? 
Umar Nurmi. Um, looks pretty promising, but he's in that thick bantamweight division. He's got to get through a lot of cats, though, before he gets anywhere. And once again, he said, hey, whatever the UFC wants to do. So they're not going to be in a hurry to promote him. He does speak a little bit of English. Seems like a fun guy. Habib's in the corner. Um, but this is going to be one of those long road type of guys. You know what I mean? Like he, he's not popping off the pages like Hamza Shemaev, who can make things fun. You know, Hamza Shemaev was just a dominant, dominant grappler early on. And then he starts Gerald Mearshart. And everybody went, oh, shit, he's got hands. So I don't know. It's a long road. It's a slow road. Um, but, yeah, he look, he looks promising. But I, I would say uh, I wouldn't open up the checkbook just yet. Carlos Olberg defeated Tafan uh, and Chukwi. Uh, starched him in the first round. Beautiful left hooks. Um, Shaylin Nerdenbecki defeated TJ Brown. TJ Brown was a favorite going into this, man. Credit to uh, Nerdenbecki, who... Really, really fought hard in this fight, and he won it. Um, regarding Carlos Ulberg, he's part of that city kickboxing team who was present because, as you mm-hmm. know, both champions are defending. Uh, you got Israel Adesanya in the main event and Alexander Volkanovsky, who has his own gym in Australia, but I think he considers himself part of that family. Um, but he's been very clear to say, hey, look, this is my gym. I do go to... New Zealand and train with them. Those are my guys. Um, but he doesn't train there daily. So I'm pointing that out because I know he went out of his way to point that out in one of the countdowns before his Korean zombie fight. Sergey Morozov defeated Holly and Paiva. I thought that was a really, really close fight. And I thought Paiva was honestly going to win because I thought he was just more effective with his striking than Morozov was with his grappling. But it was close. Cody Durden defeated J.P. Bays. Um, got him early, man. And Mario Batista got Brian Kelleher pretty early, too. Submission in rear naked choke in round one. And then Vanessa Demopoulos defeated Jin Yu Fry. It was a split decision, went the whole way. I thought Jin Yu Fry was the better fighter, honestly. This is one that I just didn't have time to rewatch. But I know one thing. Jin Yu Fry did not lose round one. I posted something on Twitter that said 3027 Demopolis, impossible. Um 2928 Demopolis. I wouldn't put that. I had something else, but I'm also not gonna call it the craziest thing I've ever heard. 2928 Fry, that's what I had. However, if you were to tell me 3027 Fry, I'd go, oh yeah, I could see that too. I just couldn't see the first one, um, but it happened. And MMA decisions, no one had Demopolis. They all had Fry. In the, let me see, this was about, in, in, in the main event, there was about 16 Sarukians and about eight Gamrots. So that was about a two-to-one difference. But in this one goes with Fry and Demopolis, it was a shutout. Nobody had Demopolis winning. Um, certainly not a 30-27 score. What did you think of this fight? And and uh, what do you think you know was a, an appropriate score? I thought it was a little closer than some people were, were thinking. But um, I thought it was clear fry. Now, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, three was clear Demopolis, right? She finished stronger, huh? I think. And yeah, Kathy yeah. was cleared Demopolis, or at least pretty clear. Uh-huh. Round one, I thought, was kind of clear, too. Round two was getting closer. But, but yeah, that was a, I was a little odd, that 30-27. It's just, again, like, people are always talking about you need uh, accountability. That That's probably one of those fights where you, you need accountability there. Like, what is it that you saw that the rest of the world didn't see? Right. And this came from a judge named Jaron Vallel. Jaron Vallel is mostly known as a referee. A few years ago, what I learned about Jaron Vallel is that, um, and by the way, I think he's an outstanding ref. But when the refs and the judges get together, usually during International Fight Week or maybe at an ABC summit, John McCarthy was usually would take the lead in discussing the changes 
or the applications or the controversies or this, that, whatever. But once John moved to broadcasting, he's kind of pulled away from that. Now, he's still a resource because he obviously helped co-write the rules. So he's still a resource. But what I heard was that Jaron Vallel kind of took that role. He's a guy that knows inside and out the scorebook, how to handle situations, where to put the fighters in a neutral corner, when to look at instant replay, you know, uh, illegal fouls, this, that. He, he's a valuable resource. Now, all the, all the referees pretty much know every single thing except uh, – how can I put it to you? Except I guess this guy's a little bit more committed to kind of knowing uh, every single detail, on um, you know, in every commission, in every country that they visit or whatever. It's not to say that Herzog and um, – Herb, Herb Dean and, you know, all the other guys sometimes forget stuff or nothing like that. No, I'm not trying to say that. This guy's just, I guess, more committed to being to being the uh, the spokesman for all the rules and stuff like that. However, that's a referee. Different from being a judge. It's two different sports. Frank Trigg told me that. Um, it's a whole different hat that you're wearing. And it's, you know, because you're seeing things from a different angle. And um, so as, as a ref, you're really thinking about health the health of the fighter and so you're not necessarily going oh yeah 10 9 this guy you know in boxing they'll do that or at least they used to do it a lot more where the, the referee would actually turn in a score in mma that doesn't happen you're basically looking more at the health of a fighter and concentrating more on that so i don't want anyone to think where'd they get this guy who's this bum no that guy is actually a, a pretty respected person in our sport but that score was just off. I'd have to disagree with it. I could, I could come to grips with round three going for Demopolis. Credit to her, she finished strong. Mm-hmm. And then round two is a close one, but I just didn't see it in round one, man. I did not see it. Yeah, odd situation on that one. Definitely not thirty twenty-seven. Yeah. Now, goes this fight card wasn't sexy on paper. Hey, what's going on this weekend? Oh man, we got Gamrat and Sarukian. I think a lot of people would go, "Well, fuck." Tell me how it goes. I'm going to the club. Because those names aren't Ferguson, McGregor, Poye, the Black Beast. You know what I mean? They, you know, but they had an excellent fight. And it just goes to show you that <sighs> some of these lesser known, lesser name, no name fighters that might not speak speak as much English or whatever are capable of, of headlining. Will they make new fans with the casual audience? I don't know. But it was one hell of a main event, and the card actually was pretty fun, as always. Yeah. You know, it was, the pacing kind of killed me because there were there were moments where the, the fights ended really quickly, and there were times where it dragged on a little bit. But you have to remember, at this point, as an MMA fan, you just asked me to put in a night where I had to watch Bellator and PFL together, right? I think even Bare Knuckle had something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, man, you're running on fumes by the time you get to the UFC. So, like, whatever it is, it better pop. Yeah. Let's talk about Bellator. Johnny Eblen is the new champion in the middleweight division as he defeated Gegard Mousasi pretty much convincingly one round, 10-9, over Gegard Mousasi, which shocked me, by the way. I think Gegard Mousasi is one of the best middleweights out there. But this Eblen guy, dude, was no joke. He could strike. He could wrestle. He had more cardio. And I don't know if it was a youth thing or what. Musasi just kind of fell flat early on and didn't seem like the regular Musasi that I'm used to seeing. However, I have to stop there because I don't I want to make sure that I don't make it sound like, oh, he can Musasi on a bad night. I just want to give all the credit in the world to Evelyn, man, because he was uh he really went after it. He saw his opportunity, he really went after it. And you could tell how much it meant to him. You could tell how much it meant to his corner, especially what who seemed to be his lead corner guy in King Mo. He was as happy as a head coach as I've seen in MMA in a long time. Yeah, that that was a really cool thing to watch. Like he motivated him. And if you watch the end of the fight, Evan was even saying, you know, there was a part where well, where he was not maybe believing in himself. That's when you need your coach to pull that gear out of you. But is that I mean it was a great performance, but I do want to talk a little bit about Musasi. Is that the beginning of the end for Musasi? Like, did he show you something where – because he got dominated, man. 
from start to finish. And I think he just got so tired from having to fight Eblin off and those takedowns nonstop. It almost looked like Habib and the bear, right? Like uh, he was just all over him. What do you think? Is that the beginning of the end for a guy like Gegard Mousasi, or can he turn things around? Okay, it could be. If Gegard were to admit, whether it's public or just to people, all right, I didn't take this guy serious because that was his game. He was saying, I don't even know this guy's name. So if that really transferred into, I'm just, you know, yeah, I mean, 70% of me should show up and take this cat out. Been there, done that. Because to be fair, dude, at middleweight, top dogs at light heavyweight, and even some top dogs at heavyweight. So it could be, man, that after all these years, like, he may have just had a soft camp and and not gotten fired up for Johnny Eblen. You know, no disrespect to Johnny Eblen, but ooh, he's probably looking like, oh, yeah, you know, and, and maybe he just didn't, maybe didn't take it serious. And if he can say that to himself or if he wants to say it publicly, then I'd believe that the next fight would be closer. But that said, I'm pretty convinced Johnny Eblen's, like, really, really just good, man. Like, that guy had a motor, man. I, I thought that guy could have won seven rounds at, at that type of pace. Yeah, he's the real deal for sure. I thought Gegard looked a little flat. I thought uh, I thought he was tired, but I also thought it's because he took some pretty decent shots. He spent a lot of time defensive wrestling. Uh, Eblen kind of started every round off with like a little bit of a lead and forced Gegard to fight from a hole, right? I don't know, man. I, I don't know if, if he can turn things around. I would definitely say if you're going to do it, if you're going to do a rematch, get it done quickly because, you know, Gegard's getting older, dude. Um, but it's hard to ask for a rematch when you got dominated the way you did. Yeah, if Gegard says, no, I put an honest camp, then I'd, then I'd probably say, well, then he's done. I, I can see the end because he won't win a rematch like you said. And uh, I just don't see him closing the gap. I'm telling you, man, Eblin would not stop coming, dude. It looked like every round, Musasi would go to the corner and Musasi would come out. Eblin would go to the corner, tag enough fresh Johnny Eblin, and then that Johnny Eblin would come out and fight round two. And then Musasi would go back and the same exhausted Musasi would come out. And then Johnny Eblin would touch, would, would touch you know, kind of like a tag team wrestling, yet another fresh Johnny. Like, he seemed even fresher every round. It was like... <laughs> It was ridiculous. Um, Magomed, sorry, Danny Sabatello defeated Leandro Higo, and Magomed, um, Magomedov defeated Enrique Barzola. Now, these fights are important because this helped fill in the semifinals of the Bellator Grand Prix. That's been happening. And now we have opponents for Patchy Mix and Raytheon Stotts. If you'll recall, Sergio Pettis is out of it. He's just going to face the winner. He had uh, a knee surgery. And so he wasn't able to participate. A few other guys kind of fell off. And it turns out Sabatello is going to face Raytheon Stotts. And Magomedov is going to face Patchy Mix. Yeah, there you go. So those are your semifinalists. Uh, I feel bad for him because I agree with John Carthy. I thought he was a 2-1 lead going into round four. And I thought he was the fresher fighter of the two. But he left that neck out. Yeah, you let your down, your guard down for a second. And that's what happens. I mean, these tournaments are unforgiving. They're all good fighters. Um, I do want to go back to something, though, with you real quick, just before we, we, we turn the page. With Gegard Mousasi, did you feel like that's a big loss for Bellator, not having him at the top because he's one of their big names. Do you feel like Johnny Eblen did so well that it erases the fact that one of your good, your best fighters is probably on his way out, or um, like which which was the bigger deal to you? Yes and no. I thought Johnny Eblen really, really popped. He showed that he could be a good champion that you can promote. He seems likable, you know, because he was just so excited and he just beat a great fighter in Gegard Mousasi. Mm -hmm. and um. The only problem with that is what Gegard Mousasi brought to Bellator was anyone that goes, 
bitch, all the best fighters are in the UFC. How would he do over there? Musasi was, he was the answer to that question. Well, he actually went over there and fucked a lot of people up. So yeah, Bellator's got a quality middle champ, middleweight champion who's never lost to Israel Adesanya because they've never, they've never fought. And I think that helps Bellator a lot when they're trying to say, hey, look, we got good fighters over here too. They're just in such a massive, um, the UFC's got a massive lead over Bellator in regards to who has the better fighters because of the history, the popularity of it all or whatever. But for hardcores that like to connect the dots, someone like Musasi is pretty legit. Now, if you go, oh, yeah, we got Johnny Eblen. Who you got? Israel Adesanya. People are going to laugh you out of the, you know, if you're in a bar trying to make that argument, they're going to laugh you out of the bar. Whereas with Musasi, you're going to have a nice discussion. They're, they're working on making things happen. You know, a guy like Johnny Eblen, that's great. A lot of promise there. Uh, Sabatella or whatever, that, that kid, you know, he talks about mad game. And you saw him getting up in his face with, with you know, throwing up the middle finger. Um, he's backing up the things that he's saying outside of the cage, in the cage. So you do have your fighters that are kind of rising a little bit, but at the same time, you have these veterans that are just so easy to, uh, all it takes is one bad performance and they're gone, right? Like Kat Zinganu, who I know we'll get to in a second, um, you haven't really been able to cash in on this too much, you know? She wins her fight, but now she's banged up, and and it looks like, I mean, I don't know, that knee looked like it needed surgery on it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that Bellator, I think they're really trying, and I think they do have some of these younger stars that are showing some promise, but I don't know if it outweighs some of the fighters that are going to have to leave here in this next year. And I feel like Gegard Musasi is one of them. I think in 2023, maybe you get one fight out of him, but I think that's it. Could be, man. But the nice thing about Evelyn is he's undefeated, and I think that really helped A.J. McKee when A.J. McKee was being compared to Volkanovski. You know, once A.J. McKee started beating all those really, really big-name fighters and he was wiping them out and he was undefeated, again, you could say, hey, man, we, we might actually have the best featherweight in the world. Then he loses, and Volkanovski looks better than ever, and now things tilted back into the UFC, at least in that that division. Though Bellator has an adequate guy in uh, Pitbull, because Pitbull's been a beast at 145 pounds over the years. He's got like seven title defenses. He's a three-time champ. He's been a champ at 155 pounds, and it pains me to say it. He even took out our buddy Michael Chandler, so he's proven himself that he's got He's he has talent. No one will ever question that. I think that's what mm-hmm. Scott Coker always strives for because if you'll notice, he's always making that argument. I feel like we got this. Bjorn used to say it, but it would fall flat a lot. But this guy, you know, uh says it. And you know, he was really, really pushing it with the Corey Anderson angle because he knew Corey Anderson had that win over Glover Teixeira. But now Yuri Prochaska's is a winner. And it turns out I think Yuri Prochaska's got a win over. Vadim Nemkov and Vadim Nemkov is still the champion because of that no contest that they had. So, you know, I don't know. One thing I've heard about Bellator goes though is they make money every year. They make money, so Viacom's happy. I guess Scott Coker's happy. It's just you'll never really have that that swag of being the big guy on the block. You know? Yeah. Um. All right. So if I didn't say it, I'll say it one more time. Magomed uh, Magomed Magomedov fights Patrick Mix. In the semifinals, Danny Sabatello fights Raytheon Stotts. Raytheon Stotts, by the way, is your interim champ along the way. Um, first, you know, and, and the uh, undisputed champion is Sergio Pettis. So if you've been hearing Stotts, he won the interim title out in Hawaii. And by the way, I thought he stole the show, man, uh, up in the announcer's booth, up, up in the analyst booth with Josh Thompson and that other gal. Did you ever hear them go back to Raytheon's thoughts? He was funny and entertaining. Yeah, he's he's really got a lot of personality. We um we saw him at Extreme Couture, you know, working out there a little bit, and he just he whatever he does, he just seems to kind of blend in. He fits in. He's a funny cat. He's fun. And that Danny Sabatello guy, I think he's everything Dylan Dennis wants to be, kind of like an East Coast gangster. He's an Italian gangster of a nickname, but he this yeah. guy he can back it up because he's got the record. He's 13 and one. And so now he's telling the crowd to F off and this. And I know I'm not supposed to do it, but he's got a little bit of that Steve Austin swag to him. I'm going to break the rules. I don't give a fuck this, that, whatever. But he's backing it up. He does have a motor. But then when Raytheon stops, started chirping, 
Sabatello backed off a little bit. I thought Sabatello was going to maybe come back at him. Uh, but to be fair, he had just fought, you know, <laughs> a long fight, so he was probably exhausted. Um, anyway, you slice the pie, even if you dominate somebody, if you go five rounds, you're tired. Um, but I think that Sabatello's got the look, and and I think he might be a little star for Bellator as well. If he's him and Stotts, anyway, the that's in the books. And let me clean a couple things up here. I, I do want to go back to UFC for one thing. I didn't give you guys the bonuses. Fight of the night was uh, Mateus Gamron and Armand Sarukian. Performance of the nights went to Shavkat uh, Rachmanov and then Josh Parisian. And then Thiago Moises. So five bonuses the UFC had. If you'll recall, they've had two fight cards where everyone who finished got a bonus. I think Austin and London or something like that. So the UFC's been writing more checks. Little bravo to them for that. And then going back to Bellator, um, I want to finish out the main card. Brendan Ward defeated Cassius Kane. Um Kalias Mota defeated Dan Moret. Lucas Brennan defeated Johnny Soto. Alexander Shabli uh, defeated Brent Primus. Kat Zingano defeated Pam Sorensen. Antoli Tokov defeated Mohamed Abdullah. Sabaho Masi defeated Mike Hong Mendoka. Mendoza, maybe. Uh, Ilara Joanne defeated Alejandra Lara, who went to that um, carnivore diet, she was saying. James Gonzalez defeated Cody Law. Aaron Jeffrey defeated Fabio Aguiar. Mandel Nalo defeated Bryce Logan. And so that was your Bellator card that Goes was talking about on the same night as PFL. Any final thoughts on Bellator 282, Goes? Yeah, I thought it was fun. It was definitely worth tuning in. And I love the foreshadowing with the with the tournament and all that. Um, I thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll get to PFL next, but I thought, uh, boy, did they ask a lot out of you as an MMA fan, but it was kind of worth it this weekend. Do you like it when they bring in Stotts into the ring to face off I love it. Uh, against Savatello? And then they also bring in, whether it's a Grand Prix or not, I think if they can do that, it's a pretty cool moment, isn't it? I think the UFC should try and capitalize on that whenever it seems to be a sure thing. Yeah, I love it. I don't know why the UFC got away from that. Uh, because they have done it a few times here and there, but I, I absolutely love it. Boxing in a way a goes, in a way goes. If you think about it, it's their way of helping make the star. Like I'll give you an example. Dana White was asked about Josh Emmett when he beat Cater. Hey, is um, did Josh Emmett just win the title? He goes, I don't know. Tuesday, the matchmaker meeting asked me. Well, guess what? A Tuesday went by, and if on that Tuesday they decided, you know what, we really need to go with Emmett then Emmett should be present in the front row. And if they have a chance, have him walk up into the octagon and promote the winner of Holloway versus Volkanovsky. Now, it might be one of those things where Dana White is in the ear to the production, to Joe Rogan, to this, that, whatever, because so many things can happen. If Holloway beats Volkanovsky, sorry, Josh Emmett's not getting the next shot. I think Volkanovsky's probably done enough to warrant a fourth fight because he'd be up 2-1. He's a cre credible champion. and you know, he probably deserves it. It's probably big money. I get that. But there is that other thing that we've all been saying. Well, what if Yair looks good against Brian Ortega? Man, what if he does? You know, like, has he has his resume done more than Josh Emmett? If it hasn't, if we're just fighting over 50,000 pay-per-views, man, I just think you give it to the more qualified guy. Eat the 50,000 fucking pay-per-views. I think yeah. one way or another, that guy will get you back those 50,000 pay-per-views. Invest in that guy. Stop always going for the easy chase. Because if that's the case, then you might as well just go keep running Diaz and Masvidal back and forth. Diaz and Connor back and forth. Poye, like, you might as well just keep shoving those down our throats. Do part four, part five, part six, part seven. Best of seven, like the Colorado Avalanche. You know, they just won their, their third title. They defeated the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in six. Congratulations to them. But Seriously, man, I just think that's a good way to make new stars. Becomes WWE at that point. It just doesn't really make much sense. But, but yeah, you got to sell this as much as you possibly can. And I grant you, Josh Emmett's a little bit on the on the drier side. His post fight wasn't as great as Michael Chandler's was. You know, but at one point goes, Michael Chandler was kind of Josh Emmett. He didn't always just grab the mic and go, you know, this and that and 
take over and sound like The Rock. You know, he worked at it. He put some time into it. And so Josh Emmett needs to do a little bit of that. But the UFC also needs to give him a spotlight and a shine or guys like Josh Emmett. Otherwise, again, you're going to be stuck with Figueredo versus Marino back, you know, one, two, three, four. You know, it, it, it's just it's too much of these replays sometimes. Moving on to yeah. PFL. PFL 520. Did you want to say something? No, no, I agree with what you're saying. PFL 5. Um, Sheffield defeated Capelosa. So, Matthias Sheffield defeated Capelosa. Stevie Ray, man, submitted Anthony Pettis. Dude, Anthony Pettis looked good. Uh, that guy had like eight abs all week. And he had told us, I'm working hard. Uh, I'm going to. I'm gonna blow through this guy or whatever. He didn't look as like someone that 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 was dogging it. Now he's been putting a lot of time in the boxing gyms, and he's usually a pretty good submission def- uh, guy. But uh, I was shocked when I when I saw Stevie Ray submit him. Either way, he makes it to the playoffs. Clidson Abrio defeated Hannon Ferreira. Um, Chris Wade defeated Kyle Bokniak. Ante Deliha defeated Shelton Graves. Bubba Jenkins defeated Reynaldo Exon. Dennis Goldsoft defeated Maurice Green. Lance Palmer defeated Shaman Rice. Juan Adams defeated Sam K. Rio, Rio G. Kudo defeated Alejandro Flores. And Brendan Lochning defeated Ago Husick. So, uh, any thoughts on those fights? I'm just going to kind of throw it all out there. Well, it cracks me up that <laughs> every time we interview Brendan Lochning, he tells us one thing and he goes out and does another. He just can't uh, avoid these wars, man. Like, he gets into these really tough fights. He's got an eye that he's definitely going to have to watch out because that thing was almost closed shut. Um, you know, our, our friend uh, Chris Wade, he's going in as the number one seed here this year, you know? And then you look at Anthony Pettis, like, he had a good performance, a really good performance. It was just one mistake that led him down that road. And, um, you got to give Stevie Ray his props. The fun thing is the way they're matched up now, they fight again. You know, that's going to be the uh, the fight again, uh, Anthony Pettis and Stevie Ray. So um, Ray won the fight, and he's got to feel good. But at the same time, he's probably going to have to go back and watch the tape and notice that he was getting it. Ta- it was taken to him, you know, early on in that fight. It was just that one mistake that cost him. So. I don't know that confidence is sky high either. Yeah. Um, so let me, yeah, I agree, man. Uh, and by the way, I'm not a fan of them having the fight right after, but I guess that is their format. I wish there was a point where whoever's number one can say, hey, look, you're technically matched up against someone who you fought. It's only a two-game regular season. It's not like the NFL where they have 17 weeks, and so someone you played in September you wind up facing in January, you know, could be a whole different team by then. I mean, literally, it just happened. And so I, I wish there was a case where they go, hey, look, you're the number one guy. You're supposed to fight the number four guy. But it turns out you just fought. So would you like the number three guy or the number two guy even? Um, or at least just the number three guy, because I guess the number two guy does deserve to fight one of the two lower guys. And if he had that option and he wanted to go with it, I would like I would like that. But, you know, I think the PFL is slowly learning because if you recall, didn't Lance Palmer fight the same guy three times one year and and all of them, I think, went to decisions. And it was just kind of like, oh, man, this is this isn't really fun. Uh, fun yeah, fun. Exactly. Um, PFL wound up like this. The featherweights. Chris Wade, first place with nine points. Uh, Ryoji Kudo, second place with six points. Bubba Jenkins, third place with six points. Brendan Lochning, uh, fourth place with six points. So Wade fights Lochning, and Kudo fights Jenkins. And uh, those are good. Now, guess who's out? Lance Palmer, former two-time champion. He took a loss, and then he won, but via decision. Palmer goes to decision a lot. Shaman Marias, he he, uh, only got three points as well. Kyle Bokniak, who fought in the UFC. He um, got no points. Boston Sam, and he only fought one time, zero points. He's a Vegas guy. Um, heavyweight division. Dennis Goldsoff, first place, nine points. Ante Delija, eight points, second place. Henan Fajeda, six points, third place. And Bruno Capoloza, the former champ, fourth place, six points. Now, Clayton Abreu also had six points, 
but his came via two decisions goes, whereas Capazola had a first-round stoppage, but he also lost the fight. I'm tripping on this, and I'll tell you why. Because, yeah, you had the finish, but, bro, you lost the fight. The guy that's 2-0 is staying home, and the guy that's 1-1 is advancing because his six means more because he got it via the stoppage via decision. I'm not feeling that. I think this happened last year. I'm trying to remember with who, but I think it's happened before. Yeah, I'm not really feeling that either. They got to figure that one out. Yeah, because the object is to win. And I just don't think there should be a way for you to get in with a lesser win or with a loss over someone that had two wins, even though you can say they were boring. I don't care. He won versus Mm -hmm. you were exciting one fight, but another one, you got your ass kicked. I'd rather go home a boring winner than someone that got his ass kicked, right? If you went to Jack in the Box, behind Jack in the Box with a classmate, and he kicked your ass, the next day at school is going to be rough. But if you went to Jack in the Box and fought a guy, but it was boring, the teachers brought it up, you'd still rather be that guy, right? You were you were the guy that was winning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, Juan Adams and Maurice Green, they only had one shot at this. Maurice Green just lost, but Juan Adams did get a stoppage. He got five points, so he was close. I wanted to see one of the UFC guys maybe advance a little bit, but they just kind of came across this too late, and they only had one opportunity to score points. Now moving on to the light heavyweights, Robert Wilkinson. Omari Akmadov, Antonio Carlos Jr., and Delon Norte, uh, Monte. We knew this from last week, so I'm just repeating it, but they're in. And, uh, you know, staying home will be Josh Silvera, Corey Hendricks, Emiliano Sordi. Sordi's a former champion. Lightweight division, Anthony Pettis goes in at first place, six points. So he's one and one with six points. Olivian Aubian Marseille has two wins. Three and three, he gets six points. So, again, the same thing here. Pettis happens to go in as the number one. OAM goes in as number two. Alexander Martinez was a finalist last year. He goes in at number three. Stevie Ray, he goes in at number four with five points. He bumped Roush Manfio. If Stevie Ray had, uh, oh, no. Yeah, if Stevie Ray had won in the third round, I'm not sure what the next tiebreaker would have been. But him and Roush Manfield would have been tied, goes. So Roush Manfield, who won a million dollars last year, and he's one of our favorite interviews, he stays home. Yeah. Well, but see, that's what makes things interesting when you're watching live, right? And they'll post that. They'll post that as they're going, like, this can happen. So you're, it makes the fight more exciting. That That's what I, I like about PFL. Yeah. Guess who else is staying home? Clay Collard, who was involved in arguably the fight of the year. With Jeremy Stevens, he stays home. Natan Schultz, a two-time millionaire, he stays home. Marcin Held, who's submitting people in the UFC with leg locks, he stay home. That's a deep division they have there. Lightweight, their divi- their lightweight division pops more than the Bellators. Um, so the only ones we're left with is welterweight and women's lightweight, and that'll be decided this week. So keep an eye on that. Um, but that was basically the position. You what? Ray Cooper's kind of in a bind. Yeah, he needs to crack somebody, get a first-round stoppage. Mm-hmm. He needs to make weight, too. He came in way yeah. over, didn't he? There's no more hair to, to shave. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true, man. Oh, wow. And Jeremy Stevens, remember a week ago, he did the beard and the hair? Yeah. I remember he was sitting there when he did that interview with us, man. He had a pretty decent beard. I'm not really a beard guy, but I remember he was sitting there, and I was like, all right, he... It seems like he takes the time to groom it or whatever. But, yeah, I'm fighting. I didn't even recognize him. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. So, listen, it was a big, big weekend. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you consumed it all, good for you. Hopefully, you got a, a lot of your content from MMA Junkie because we have a, a team, man, that it's a patchwork team right now. I'll admit it. We lost John Morgan who was a a big force in our website, right? But if you'll notice, we've yet to replace him. And between COVID, losing Morgan, vacations, uh, and then so many shows, man, we're spread thin. But the guys and the gal on our team rallied. A lot of overtime, a lot of covering each other. Check out those stories that they put up. A lot of hard work goes into that. We try and do everything, man, whether it's just the results or the news that's popping, or the drama that's out there, or the legal cases, or whatever. 
and uh, share those, you know, because if you like what we're doing, we want to continue doing it. And uh, but we need to get it always in more, you know, in front of more eyeballs because there's always more um, people that are latching on to the sport. Yeah, so tell them about the free website, sorry, the free app. Tell them about our YouTube channel, Instagram, subscribe. Like I was telling you last time, get on that TikTok. Goes, go ahead. Shout out to Galley from Toronto. Who I yeah, noticed on Twitter. Know. Yeah, he shared uh, uh, with the fighters, you know, the fighters that we had interviews with last week on the show. He thanked them for coming on, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah. He, um, Billy McDonald does that a lot on Facebook. Uh, it, you know, we see it and we thank you for it. There's a guy too on Twitter, Nate Latshaw, who's come up with some algorithms. I told him I was going to take a look, but uh, he looks like a mathematical guy who kind of tells you when I was talking about the Jin Yu Fry and Vanessa Demopoulos fight, how he thought the algorithm worked and what, how you could have possibly scored it. And it just looked interesting just off of a tweet, but I wanted to give a shout out. Yeah. His name was Nate Latshaw on Twitter. Anyway. All right, folks, we're going to get on out of here. Thanks again for your support. I'm at MMA junkie. George goes is at the goes that works both for Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you all on Thursday. Don't forget about our watch along on Saturday. And in the meantime, go out there and be a champion. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.